0: Welcome to the Emerging Biotech Leader, where we help biotech leaders maximize the value of their therapeutics from clinical development to product launch. We're your hosts. I'm Kim Kushner.
1: And I'm Ramin Farhud. We are here to help you navigate the pitfalls of the biotech industry and illuminate the path forward.
0: On today's episode of the Emerging Biotech Leader, we're excited to welcome Adriana Valenciano, one of Ramin and my colleagues with SSI. In our last episode, we met with Dr. Oz Assam, where we really talked about the introduction of a new class of medicine and what it takes to build something new in the biotech industry, as well as some of the organizational agility and flexibility that you need to design inherently in order to really bring this new class of medicine to market. So Adriana has had a really great opportunity to collaborate with Oz, as well as a number of other leaders in the industry doing new things in in gene therapy and in other areas. So we're really excited to welcome her to this conversation. So, Adriana, thanks for joining. Oh,
2: thanks both for having me. This is very exciting.
1: Welcome.
0: So one of the things that I wanted to start the conversation on is really to talk about this new class of medicine and what it means to drive something new in the market. We at SSI have had a great opportunity to work with gene therapy organizations seven, eight years ago. Ramin is a great testament to that at his time at Avexis. We've moved into the digital therapeutic space a number of years ago, really driving a new class of medicine there. And Oz really expanded on this entirely new class of medicine at this intersection of neuroscience and psychiatric disorders and, and really what they're doing with psilocybin. So we'd love for you to maybe opine on what's really different about the work going on in Empyrean, um, you know, from what we can talk about, as well as just what it means and what's a little bit different going on there and, and driving uh, innovation.
2: Absolutely, Kim, and, and thanks for raising it. I, I first want to start by just saying Oz has had really an enviable career, I would say, in both large uh, large pharma and biotech. So it was amazing to see what he's accomplished, what he's taken away from each of those experiences. And I think that that is what actually has lended himself well to this space of innovation and really bringing him to um, Empyrean with a, a really discreet sense of how he wants to drive innovation and bring this product to the market. I think that, um, as you mentioned, you know, at SSI, we've had the opportunity to be at the forefront of those early innovations, both in cell and gene, as well as digital and many others. And what we've noticed across the board is that leaders need to lend from their experiences in the past, um, think about it creatively and and run with it. And I think Oz is someone who he's bringing in his experience from from cell therapy. He's bringing in experience from small molecule that he's had, and he's also looking at the the therapeutic area, the psychiatric space, what's been happening there, as well as neurology. So. I think that um, when you're approaching these new innovative areas, you have to kind of lend from what what you've learned in the past, pick up from other areas or disciplines that you feel are tangential. Um, I mean, Oz is going the road untraveled, like he is genetically modifying plants um, and creating human therapeutics. There's nothing like that in the market. So he really has to draw from his experience, like I said, in cell and gene, also you know, kind of getting into the botanical space, which is an area that is really, really just kind of untapped, um, particularly from the FDA side of things. So I think that as a leader in this space and as an innovator, you have to try and draw from other areas that could kind of bring you, bring to light new paths um, and, and, and see if you can bring something new from what has been done in small molecules to botanicals.
0: One of the really interesting points that Oz brought up in in terms of the story for Empyrean is that it's really operating at this intersection of neurology or neurosciences and psychiatry in this really interesting space where there are a lot of treatments for patients with things like depression, but they're not really working as effectively as we would like. And we know that there's this really important connection between pure neurology and neuroscience and the psychiatric space. We've seen a lot of innovation coming recently. We're seeing you know, some of this in digital therapeutics where companies are, are really leaning in, Imperium's taking a whole new lens on it. And Adriana, I'd love for maybe you to give us some insight into what's really unique about this intersection and this space and how we're really thinking creatively about innovation specifically here to drive better outcomes for patients.
2: Absolutely, Kim, and it's it's honestly um, psychiatry is one of those places or, or fields that it's just surprising that there hasn't been innovation uh, for so many years. You know, the first antidepressants were really approved in the fifties, and then SSRIs didn't come around until the late eighties. Um, so it's just very surprising that there hasn't been. Um, more innovation in this space. Now, there is, you know, Empyrean is not the only um, psychedelics company out there, but, um, and they're all trying to address this highly unmet need of patients who are suffering from um, psychiatric um, disorders. Now, when it comes to bringing in this nexus of neuro and psych, I think it's the industry really finally tapping into this notion that um, you know, psych- psychiatry is only a part of what folks are facing, that these are neurological disorders as well. And how do we design and, and develop therapies that are addressing, um, you know, multiple multifactorial disorders? Um, so I think for, for a company like Empyrean that is um, trying to um, really um, address and, hit multiple receptors um, to really kind of build build that um, efficacy beyond what has already been seen with SSRIs is, is truly revolutionary. And um, they're doing it um, really with some highly innovative um, technology that has been used in other spaces. It's just never been applied in this way, particularly to plants. So I think that what we um, will see as many of these companies continue to um, get into the clinic, is we're going to see really different endpoints and really different outcomes than what we've seen in in trials for um, psychiatric disorders. We're going to see new ways of assessing efficacy. We're going to see um, really differences um, for the positive for patients, um, and it's not going to be just cookie-cutter, um, psychiat, uh, psych- psychiatry studies. It's going to be different. And I think that's for the benefit of patients um, who have really been suffering for many years with um, you know, suboptimal um, therapies available to them.
0: I'm so encouraged by that, knowing when we look at the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic and how many people are finally looking for care and seeking that, and then hearing what Oz was referring to, which is how poor current treatments are at actually addressing this need, plus the lack of appropriate numbers of therapists and, and really, truly you know burnt out uh, psych- psychiatric care in, in the US, it's so important to think about innovation and, and new offerings in the space to help patients. So thinking about different endpoints and different ways of, of innovation and what we're going to actually be able to demonstrate gives me hope that we're not going to be in the same cycle of doing the same thing over and over and hoping for a different outcome that we've seen in a lot of these areas. So I think that's incredibly encouraging for what creativity and innovation is really going to mean in this
2: space. It's interesting because I went to a conference recently where they were already talking about the next generation of psychedelics. You know, We feel like we're at the forefront of the first, but there's already a second generation of optimization, of what we already know is is proving really valuable to patients, at least in clinical trials. So I'm um, similarly optimistic and also um, very encouraged because I think that um, this is an area that just has been so under nurtured in terms of innovation and people haven't been putting a lot of um, research dollars into it. The investment community is very enthusiastic about it. Um, And taking a real second look at these organizations that are bringing um, you know what some people say are non-traditional. but I hope it's traditional therapy in the future, and uh, it will change over time. And as as we get more and more innovators in this space, um, hopefully we can get. Um, you know, the buy-in of payers and other types of access organizations to make it available, because it's, it's certainly, at least from what the data has been showing in, in um, you know, early clinical trials, um, there are really positive outcomes that we're seeing um, for, for patients um, in these areas. I think it's so interesting. I always find this area so fun when we got to, get to
0: do something really new. I hate doing the lather, rinse, repeat thing over and over again. But every time we're brought into one of these new scenarios, there's a little bit of, yeah, I've seen parts of this before and I kind of know what I'm doing and I know how to apply the principles of what needs to happen. But there's this lens of creativity that you have to apply on everything you do. You have to be creative in terms of how you engage with regulatory bodies. You need to be really creative in how you start to tell a value story to early engagement with payers. You need to be really creative on how you're translating the clinical value to physicians and patients. And ultimately, patients are some of the hardest people to really convince, especially when you're doing something incredibly new. So would love for me and Adriana, for both of you to, to chime in here. How do you think about this creative lens and, and where these blurry lines really form and where we can really innovate?
2: Yeah, it's interesting when Oz was talking about the phenotype for um, for folks um, coming into an organization like Empyrean or any really biotech that's at the edge of innovation. Um, I was surprised to, to hear that he didn't mention that because for me, that's something that I, I know that he has, um, but I know that other leaders are looking for when they're trying to build out their teams. Um, is a lot of creativity. I think he mentioned like resilience and tenacity, which is definitely kind of tied in there to creativity, being able to push through and and kind of um, be uh, resilient in your points of view and in your direction, your strategic thinking, despite not knowing what's ahead. I mean, that's incredibly important. Um, what I think, I you know, when it comes to creativity, I, I always think of... Um, you know really making sure that you have a broad base of opinion amongst your team so folks with different backgrounds with level of experience um can really help bring that creativity to a strategic planning uh, of an organization um and and that all comes down to the different phenotypes of the people you bring in um i know that for a company that's in that really early stage more translational less of the discovery but really leaning towards kind of the end in mind with going to the clinic having a strong translational leader is important that has that level of creativity, not just looking at what's been done in psychiatry from a clinical perspective, because um, the hope is to do more than what we've already done in psychiatry and what clinical trials have shown us there. So, um, you know, I, I think that you're looking for someone who has Uh, maybe experience in the space, but that maybe has had some other, um, you know, experiences outside of a specific therapeutic area so that they can bring some different perspective. Um, I know that um, for psychiatry, folks not only look at um, the traditional endpoints, but they're now also looking at different um, neurological endpoints that are, that have been traditionally used in, you know, very straight and narrow neurology studies. So um, if you bring in a leader who's really focused in one space and one therapeutic area, you might miss out on an opportunity to differentiate your product.
1: I think that's a, such an important point you bring up, Adriana. Um, it, it's almost what you're saying is that you kind of have, you want to, in order to be creative and innovative, you also have to be willing to forget what, have, what you've already done and start thinking about how you can do things differently now. So that experience, is great to have, but at some point it could become a hindrance because you're so fixated on what it has worked. And what I really like with our conversation with Oz, he was talking about how the old way of thinking and the new way of the thinking, and you have to decide where you are, what stage you are, what kind of a company, pharmaceutical, therapeutic area, are you bringing a completely new class to the market or not? And then based on that, you decide on your resource allocations, what kind of a phenotype do you need? Uh, does the old way of linear algorithm thinking and just hiring work? So do you need to be more selective and strategic? And to your point, you also have to bring in people that are thinking and are willing to be creative because that's a lot easier <laughs> said and done because usually when you're trying to be very new and creative and you try it, you're gonna have a lot of more failures on your hand because you're the pioneers. Um, how, do you, how do you help our clients to go through all of that unknowns where they are really in the front and dealing with all these challenges from all different aspects and obviously hiring is a piece of it but there are the regulatory aspects there are clinical studies there's results data all of these things that are happening on at the same time how do you how do you work our clients through this whole process
2: yeah i mean and i'm gonna even layer something else on which is like the investment environment so it's you know, layering in the challenges of trying to identify what team makes sense um, for you at that time, um, and the pressure that you're facing to meet milestones and deliver on commitments. So I think um, Oz said, you know, leaders are for seasons and teams are for seasons. And I think that that's um, really how we like to approach it with our clients early on is that Um, We don't need to build out a um, full-blown preclinical translational team, particularly for collaborating with strong folks in academia or with other CROs that are delivering on this important preclinical work. We need someone who has strong um, vision uh, for the end in mind, for where we need to go, and how do we design our program early on so that we can meet meet those milestones. So, you know, when we're working with clients, and when I'm working with clients, I look at some of the most you know critical areas of their business that. Makes sense for them to keep in house. I think Oz says, you know, having his nine folks that are really focused on um, uh, in the lab, on the wet lab, that's critical because the science is so unique and discreet um, versus kind of the build out of uh, their translational and clinical, which is something right now that is in the future, but they need to plan for it now. Um, you know, I, he's onboarded a very experienced CMO, Fred Grossman, who's in psychiatry. So he's really laying the foundation, um, but they're building the scaffolding of their team around them of SMEs in areas that can help, um, you know, push forward and operationalize um, a very discrete set of um, activities for their lead, for their lead asset. So I think that, you know, making that decision around platform versus asset you know they've really there they have a robust platform but they're focused on this asset so I think that as an advisor to a client like this I would say what do we need to do to get this asset to our next milestone and let's build a team around what is needed there um, so I think it's it really just depends on the organization but I always think about it what what are our, our milestones look like? And how do we build a team around meeting each of those milestones uh, one after the other?
0: It's a really great Age run at the forefront of what you just described that the investment community is also driving a lot of decision making operationally within a lot of early stage biotechs, just knowing where the money is right now, where it may or may not come from in the future is really starting to color. Should we, or should we not actually hire? doesn't make sense to build this entire function and some of these roles might require you know FTE level of resourcing but not actually necessitate an internal resource and it might make more sense to have a flexible team it might make more sense to bring in partial skills across multiple people especially in an area where you have to be so creative and you have to bring this meeting of minds and I think one thing that I really enjoy that we talked about last time is this diversity of experience and diversity of thought, and how that really translates into the team. And a partial team that brings that diversity of thought, in my mind, in this environment, really trumps a single person who has a singular view of where to go. And so it's really interesting to hear the Empyrean story of how Oz is starting to build the organization, but also in my own experience, a lot of conversations I've been having with organizations recently are, what if I don't hire anybody for a year? What would that look like? How do I get these priorities done? And what are my options? And talk me through that so that I'm not worried about carrying the burden of an entire function or a team, which truly isn't necessarily core to my business. So to your point at Empyrean, the wet lab is core to the business. In a lot of these other organizations, it's figuring out which functions really are mission critical. And how do I get all of that other work done and how do I get creative about that?
2: Yeah, that's that's totally right, Kim. And I think that, you know, if you looked at some of our other clients that we've supported that are, let's say, are in the more ultra rare disease space, um, they may be thinking about that FT versus augmented model very differently. They may be focusing on actually having early on, let's say, a really core and prominent um, patient advocacy um, partner um, at the table from the start because they they realize the importance of building that community early on versus um, maybe having a full-blown, um, I would say, regulatory um, shop. Maybe they can leverage uh, another partner to help bring that in early on to help map the regulatory path but maybe an early hire looks like a patient advocacy or or another function Um, i would also add probably a strong cmo or clinical leader um, is important for those types of organizations so it really will just depend on on what your core thesis is um, to your company and and where directionally um you want to go and that you've been uh, driving investors around so um you know, I've had other companies who, when they're thinking about their hires, um, you know, will they'll be presented candidates, um, and they'll say too traditional, um, too, um, you know, has has done you know the same thing um, at many different companies, no diversity, um, and that's what that's what people are looking for now. They're looking for diversity of thinking, experience, um, and they're building teams um, that are not. Um, you know, as Odd described, like the person they met um, at their last company. They're going outside of their networks, um, and they're looking for individualized um, experiences that will lend themselves to innovation. So, I, I think personally that it's a um, it's an exciting time for um, kind of putting those pieces together, and and not just building a new class of medicine, but building new teams. and And, and biotech is looking a lot different than um, many years ago.
1: Uh, Adriana, you, I know you work with all different sides of companies and a lot of small startup and biotechs as well. And to the point that you were talking about candidates and the attributes and the phenotype of a candidate. And I asked the same question from Oz. Do you see, do you see it more challenging for startups and biotech to get the right talent in that is very, well, broaden and not just the experience in one therapeutic area, but they really have a good understanding across the drug development, commercializations, and how to bring a new class to the market. Is that challenging for smaller companies and biotechs to find those talents? What what do you think?
2: I think that, um, I think Oz said it best, you know, there's a talent war right now, particularly if you're in kind of looking at um, genetic medicines. Um, And I think that There's um, with the change in climate and what's going on in in large pharma um, and restructurings and things, there's definitely folks that are out there, but um, organizations are being very selective because they themselves realize that they have cash runways to preserve and they don't want to make the wrong hire because that can be really debilitating to the organization. So I think that certainly there is um, a competitive market, um, but there are great candidates out there. And what I'm seeing the best leaders doing is um, being more thoughtful about who they bring in and not just as necessarily sit, sticking to spec, um, you know, meeting candidates, um, testing their ability to be agile, to be creative, and not just think about things in um, in, in a linear fashion. Um, so uh, th- that's where I'm seeing um, the struggles with hiring is more so finding the right candidates.
1: How, how do we fill that gap for them, Adriana, at SSI and your clients? How do you fill that gap where they're, while they're thinking about what talent or what position to even hire, how do we how do we come in at SSI and help them out to fulfill that gap for them with, with the talents that we have at our company?
2: I think we do a really great job of testing testing assumptions around what they feel like they need. Um, we oftentimes have folks and clients that come to us and say, "I really need a preclinical person. I really need." A strong clinical developer, and I think that while we're in the business, um, the client service business, we're also, um, you know, first and foremost um, partners to our clients, and we hope that we have clients that allow us to bring our perspective on what their hiring approaches can and should be. Um, so we like to test those assumptions and and really dig into what's going on at the organization and say. You're right. You may need a strong preclinical person to help manage these studies, but you what you also need is a really strong translational leader who's going to make sure that what we are designing will work in the clinic, um, and and we can help bring those um, exp- experts to bear. Um, but I'd be curious to have to hear from you know Kim um, as well about. You know those early engagements when the client asks for one thing, um, how do we how do we pivot um, in some ways to um, provide that you know perspective?
0: When we're asked for something in particular, I think the best option for us is always we can always do versions of what they're asking. But to your point, Adriana, there's a lot more underneath the question. So in our engagements, it's really about doing that root cause analysis, understanding why they think they need this specific person, why they need you know, a head count in this role. When often it's really, I need somebody who can do a piece of that, but actually I also need that person to do 10 other things. And that's when we start to get into a conversation about skill and experience and less about a person. And when we can do that, we can provide a more holistic approach to different people that can fill very specific skill gaps can generally get to a much better and faster outcome for an organization that needs to be really agile because we can plug into to Adriana's point, that preclinical, that translational, the clinical mind, and we can have those pieces of that diversity of thought really collaborate to get to that outcome. And then over time, figure out, all right, well, which of these phenotypes actually make sense for an internal hire? And one of the things that I really lean into is, at what point is that hire actually sustainable And by bringing them on board, are you substantially de-risking the business? If a hire can't answer one of those things, it may or may not make sense to actually make that hire near-term, especially in this environment, especially in a growing biotech. So we really have to think about, is this sustainable? Does bringing this person on de-risk? And if not, how do I make sure I'm bringing those skills to bear so that I can get the work done and do it as quickly and agilely as possible?
2: Yeah, and I think exactly. Oz talked about it how that model shifts over time. You know what what works today will not always work in the future, and there there are inflection points where, as you suggested, Kim, it does make sense to have that FTE um, onboarded and and very clearly embedded in the organization versus uh, you know an augmented model um, in in previous iterations. So I think that um, there's no like one or the other really, um, and I think organizations need to be really um, um, not pegged into, okay, well, I have FTEs now, will I need them forever, or v- vice versa in terms of the consultants.
1: I think one area that I've also experienced uh, on both sides when I was in the industry and in the consulting is that rather than focusing on the FTE or the hire, focusing on the output. And it completely changes your perspective, right? What is the output I'm looking for? And then it opens up the door, well, how do I get there? Yes, one of them could be, I need to hire somebody with this experience. But then you also have to question yourself: well, how long is how do I how long do I need that experience? What stage I'm at? Focusing on the output, I think it helps you to also make a little bit broader and maybe more strategic decisions in your hiring. And there are plenty of great talents out there that you can also supplement your hiring in order to get to that end result. I think that's that helps quite a bit as well. Sometimes we get very fixated on. I have six headcounts, twenty headcounts, and I need to fill them. Um, and there may be other approaches there as well.
0: I think maybe as a, a final thought here, um a, a little personal anecdote, I always find myself over my morning coffee reading endpoints and Fierce Pharma and all of these different uh, you know morning news updates. And I do think what we're saying is start to re- starting to really resonate in the market. We are seeing such differentiated outcomes. We're seeing such innovation coming into the market. We're seeing organizations like Empyrean come out of stealth mode. We're seeing a lot of innovation and big deals happening in the gene therapy space. digital, Really across the board, I have to assume, and we're hearing it and we're seeing in our client organizations that there really is this shift in mindset around the people that we're bringing to the table, how do we make sure that if this hasn't worked for 20 years, we're not hitting our, against, our heads against the wall and doing the same thing over and over again. We're finally seeing some of that breakthrough. So you know, from a, a personal perspective, I find it incredibly encouraging to see the innovation in the market and see our organization, client organizations really start to make these changes and really see these outcomes for me that you're referring to. So Adriana, really appreciate you joining the conversation today. And, and looking forward to future conversations.
1: Thank you. Thank you for coming on board.
0: Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Emerging Biotech Leader, an SSI strategy podcast. Join us each month for more conversations with biotech leaders. If you'd like to help navigating the complexities of biotech, reach out to our team at ssistrategy.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review.